Well, hello, Martin. How's it going? Hello, my friend. I'm good. Thank you. Good. Good. Very good. Busy. Busy. Busy's good. It's just me and you today. Yeah. John is busy in his shop. He's doing some testing and he thought he would be done by now, but he's not. So today is going to be in uh, just Martin and, and BG on this podcast. John told me he's testing out some new shampoo. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully he has some good results. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, John's one of those people that looks good with a shaved head. You know, some yeah, people... I don't. Bruce Willis, Joe Rogan. You know, there's certain people that, like, pull it off and they look good. You know, mm. you see Joe Rogan clips of him when he was younger and he had hair. He looks... It doesn't look right. You know, he looks yeah. better with a shaved head. So, yeah. yeah. And same with Bruce Willis. Mm. He's done some movies where he has hair and it just doesn't, it doesn't fit him. He looks better with a shaved head. I look like a walnut. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Did I shave my head once? Oh, how many years ago was it? Maybe like 15, 16 years ago, I shaved my head. I just got like this really weird uh, desire one day. I was like getting coffee at a Starbucks and there was a Russian barbershop next door. And I'm just like, I'm going to shave my head. And I like walked in. And uh, they don't speak any English in this barber shop. They had like a little TV playing Russian soap operas up in the corner. And this lady who had a picture of a German shepherd on her mirror, which I thought was like so awesome. Uh, I was like, I, I was kind of just like motioning, like kind of pantomime, like, you know, shave, you know, like down to the skin. And she's like, yep. she like points and gets out this like Soviet era clippers that were huge and all metal. And just took it right off. And uh, I immediately regretted that decision. Like, I do not look good with a shaved head whatsoever. So I haven't done that since. Same when I, um, Ashley, Ashley asked me to shave my beard. It's not right. It's not like long like yours recently. And I shaved the goatee in. And yeah, I regretted it instantly. It just felt weird not having anything on, on my cheeks. Dude. So I, uh, yeah, didn't, for me, I didn't look good. I looked like a dash hound. Well, the last time I shaved my beard, it's like I, I don't have any chin. I'm just like upper teeth, and that's it. There's like no chin whatsoever. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> so, <a skull. laughs> yeah, dude, it's just teeth and then neck, and there's like uh, there's no chin there. So I did again. I did that probably like 15 years ago, and I didn't do it since. The funny thing was, the whole reason I grew a beard was out of spite, completely out of spite. So Aaron, my wife now. We dated way back then and we broke up. And I tell that story in that TEDx talk about how we broke up. Mm. But uh, after we broke up, I used to shave back then. I was like clean shaven when we dated. And after we broke up, I was just kind of, I didn't shave for a couple of weeks and I had like a, you know, like a scruff going. And I was at Starbucks and she walks in behind me. I turn around, I'm like, hey, what's up? And she's like, are you growing a beard? I'm like, yeah. She's like, it doesn't suit you. I was like, <laughs> you i'm gonna keep growing it and i grew it out of spite because she said it didn't suit me i was like you know what i'm not gonna shave now i was gonna shave i was gonna do this for a few weeks but now i'm not gonna shave and i didn't shave for years i just let it keep growing and uh well yeah and now i can't imagine shaving so well one of the reasons i have long hair is with my little boy leonardo he has he had long hair and we had a competition to get it cut first now bear in mind He's not an adult. He was only about six at the time, five. He's now 12. So he's had it cut many times since then. So I won the bet. So, but I refuse to cut it still. I can't give in. Can't give in. I'll just, I'll just grow it till I, till I die now. So, <laughs> just, to, just to say I beat you. <laughs> nice. So anyway, 
So if people have signed in for concrete, you've got a L'Oreal advert or, you know, a barbershop advert. So um, maybe that's what we should do in, in California, have a barbershop quartet. Maybe. So maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So California. So yes. We got the Concrete Heroes Quest coming up and we might be sold out. I don't know. Um, the page on the website shows we have a couple seats left, but a couple people paid via deposit, and I don't think they're included in that number. So I'm going to have to check. But if we're not sold out, we're very, very, very close. We're within one or two seats of being sold many, out at the moment. How many people is that then? 25, 30? 30. 30 is what we cap it at. That's insane. Yeah, 30. But then you're going to be there. Ashley's going to be there. I'm going to be there. John, Joe. Joe has like two or three guys that he's going to have that work for him. Yeah. They're helping and then uh, one of my good friends is going to be, he's coming down for vacation about an hour away, him and his wife and kids. So he's going to cruise over one day just to hang out. Yeah. I haven't seen him in a while. So he's going to come over. So I don't know, it's going to be like 40, 45 people in that shop. Wow. Yeah. It's going to be a, a good time. I'm excited about it, but I'm really excited about this yeah. class. You know, it's the first time we're doing this and it's going to be just a really fun time kind of seeing a more ambitious project through from inception to ceiling all the way through the whole process so i'm excited Absolutely. about it yeah me too i the thing is much as i say i'm coming to help teach i'm also coming to learn so yeah. you know it's kind of two birds with one stone i get to help people which i love doing and i also get to learn some new things as well so that's the beauty of it dude i learn in every class i learn something because if people come to the classes they all have such a diverse history of work yeah. whether it's concrete or something else and uh, I mean, I've yeah. had like stone sculptors in the class that have told me things that I'm just like, oh my God, I never would have thought of that. That's yeah. uh, such a genius thing. I've had all kinds of people that have mentioned things that have played into what we do. Absolutely. There's so many different walks of life that people have different experiences. So that's why, you know, they can see it from a different set of eyes rather than those that kind of get set in our ways the way we see things or the way we do things. Exactly. So what's going on in the concrete world, Martin? Um, for me, in the concrete world, so we have been doing quite a few projects, some 3D pieces, so waterfall tables, um, fire tables. Um, I've just done a brass table base. Uh, what else have I done? Just done a brass sink, which obviously I show, showed you guys. And today I have been doing a micro cement fireplace for a, a larger project where we've done tables for them, outdoor kitchen, planters, fire pits. So I've just been finishing that today. So busy, busy, trying to cram everything in before I fly to California on Wednesday. Um, seven days before the course, we're going to have a bit of a trip around um, before we go to the course and help on the course. So, yes, just trying to cram everything in, get most of it finished so I haven't got as many clients shouting at me when I'm in California. <clears throat> so you busy? Your shop looks good, by the way. It looks really good. Thanks. Well, I'm busy with that. So I've been, I've been remodeling, renovating a building that I bought, which I've talked about a few times on the podcast. And, um, you know, it was one of those things. My mom used to do this. My mom would start to do a small project in the, in the house. Right. And before you know it, like the whole house is completely torn apart and she's like painting every room. She's redoing the floor. She's, you know, painting outside of the house. She's redoing the landscaping. She's ripping everything out. And it started off as like one small thing and it turns into this massive, massive project. And that's what's happened to me is I was planning, uh, you know, I'm going to move in. I'm going to, I'm going to put down some new floors. I'm going to paint the outside and eh, I'll call it good. Right. And it's been like three <laughs> months now of working on this thing and I'm, I'm still in the process, but it's getting a lot closer and it is, it is actually looking really good. Like when I pull up to the building, 
it's it just looks awesome and I'm, I'm very happy with it. I've way over improved for the neighborhood. Like every other building, yeah. it's an industrial park that I'm in. Every other building, they don't care. You know, you drive by and the buildings are mm. all like old and faded and there's really no landscaping to speak of, like no curb appeal, no design. It's just a, a beige building in a concrete parking lot, you know, and that's it. And so mine with like the gabion walls and everything's like caterpillar yellow accents and uh, landscaping and just everything we put into it and the thought and the design, you know, it's out of place for the, for the neighborhood because there's really no other people focused on the aesthetics of their building. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I do think, you know, where, where I'm building right now or where I'm renovating this building, there's so much development going on. And I think like, you know, these other buildings, yeah, it's always going to be industrial park, but I think in time, new tenants will move in that have a, maybe a more upscale uh, presence than what's currently there. Yeah. So I think I'm just a little bit ahead of, of everybody else on renovating, but at some point the other buildings will come up around me. So the thing is that you've, you've added value to the property and I know you're renting part of it out. That's probably going to be so much easier to rent that space out compared to if it was, you know, beat down and, you know, not very nice to be in because, you know, we all want to work in a nice environment. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, that's kind of the reason I started this whole thing to begin with. If it was just me, I may have left it. I say I may, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be able to stand yeah. it, but... <laughs> You know, my whole reasoning was, well, I need to attract a quality tenant. So I need to get in here. I need to pull out this carpet. I need to, like, repaint the space. I need to put in uh, recessed lighting, get rid of these fluorescent lights that were hanging from the ceiling. I need to replace the windows. I need to replace the doors. I need to repaint this. I need to do that. That was, like, my mindset. But then it just kept trickling further and further and further and further um, from there. And so now it's, it's turned into, like, on my side... What was going to be my office, the front, is not going to be a lounge. I'm going to do like mm-hmm. a lounge space with sofas and, and coffee tables and seating and like a coffee bar. I'll do cabinetry and a coffee bar. And then my office, like just a little room, is where I'm going to have my desk and computer and stuff. And then yeah. there was an upstairs storage area. I'm going to turn that into the meeting room. So ultimately, I'm going to do like a really cool steel staircase and then uh, I'm going to cut open a big section and put a big glass window that looks into the shop from the second story. So you'll look into the shop space. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then we'll do a really cool conference table up there and, and the flat screen TVs. And that will be where when we have classes, that's where the meeting room will be. So, you know, ultimately it's, it's going to be a pretty neat space when it's all said and done. There's, a, there's two bathrooms in my space. One has a shower. And right now I'm just leaving it as is. That bathroom I'm not remodeling. The other bathroom I am. But the yeah. one with the shower, I'm looking forward to in the next, you know, six months or so, hopefully, getting in there, completely gutting it down, and then doing a really nice concrete shower, concrete shower pan, yeah. uh, wall tiles, and make that just like a real showpiece, that bathroom. Mm-hmm. So It's funny you say that, because I have, um, so the workshops we're in now, the two of them, um, we have managed to find in a different site, a new industrial building to take the... Um, the operation, the kind of manufacturing to that building, it's a bigger space. It's about 3,000 square foot. It's a really good price. So we're moving into there in June, I think it is, roughly. So um, within that, Ashley and I was talking about talking about a shower. This is actually just for me because <laughs> I've broken two washing machines at home because obviously how dirty I get, um, you know, we get making concrete. So I said to her that I'm going to put a shower in here as well so we can actually just go into work do what I need to do, get showered, wash my clothes in work and then go home. Um, you know, 
I think it'd be a very viable space. You'd probably find yourself doing the same because Erin is probably like Ashley and tells you off for coming home, you know, dusty, dirty, messy. So, um, yeah. 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 I think it will be a very functional thing to have. I've never had a shower in my space before. And there's mm-hmm. definitely, especially in the summertime, man, when you're sweaty and like all the dust just sticks to you, you know, that's the worst when you're just dying and, and you're mixing concrete and you just get covered, especially if it's like black pigment you got mixed in because that stuff's just magnetic and it just sticks to everything. And then you get in your truck and you leave like all the black pigment everywhere. It's just a mess. Get out, you get out your truck on, on my van in, in my case and you walk across somewhere and you can just see footprints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I've. I've been to, I've, um, in the move, you talk about things that you want to just, you know, well, just do this, I'll just do that. I was the same with the workshop, and now I've kind of redesigned it in SketchUp. So there's kind of like designated areas, you know, there's designated booms, for, a boom for just the woodworking area to have all my, you know, the Hoover cable overhead. You've got a track saw, and you've got a fez tool, you've got the maffle. You know, when you're cutting, and the cables are dragging behind you, and it gets stuck on the table, and yeah. Uh, start swearing and cursing so i'm gonna have a boom for the woodworking area hoover um uh, airline uh, 240 volt cable all overhead so we can just dangle in the middle of the table and plug it all in have all my cables above me uh, much in the same way i've got one in the wet area so but yeah i've it was just a case of just moving and cut the floor out for the grid and now it's kind of yeah it's become a little beast of its own let's do this let's do that so um yeah ashley just keeps pulling me in a little bit saying you've still got work to do when we go in there you, you can't just spend the next five months doing a nice workshop uh, so. dude i know but here's the thing is if i don't do it now it'll Correct. never get done because exactly, once yeah. you get set up and you're in your operational you'll never backtrack and like move stuff to do what you should have done in the beginning and i know that because i did that in my house in my house here where i'm doing this podcast from right now because my my shop's not set up yet my house um, before we moved in, there was a couple months where I was coming up to Wichita from Arkansas and I was working on remodeling the kitchen. And so I gutted the kitchen completely down to the studs and, and rebuilt the kitchen. And I repainted the whole interior of the house. And I was doing all these other like little little things, but I'd re- I had meant to replace the curtain tracks and the curtains. I'd meant to um, do some trim work around some stuff. I'd meant to do this, meant to do that, but we ran out of time. Now, six months later, curtains aren't replaced the trim hasn't been attached the little things that i meant to do at that point that i could have done easily now mm-hmm. it'll never get done until we're ready to move and we're like we have to get the house ready to sell then i'm gonna yeah. like hustle up and i'll do all the stuff that i meant to do back then mm-hmm. but it's so easy to do when the space is empty but once you're set up you're not going to do it it's just not that i think for me speaking for myself i like i mean i like walking into a workshop now clean and tidy so i am at the end of the day i make sure i put the tools back unless i'm going to use it again the next morning at the track saw i will put them back where they belong i will you know empty the bins you know every every friday kind of make a routine because is that all you know the kind of old saying if you if you look good you feel good and if you feel good you do good you know and it's much the same in the workshop if i go in and it's clean and tidy ultimately i feel like i want to create something in that space I want to do good work, or if you're walking into bomb site, and don't get me wrong, sometimes it can be, you know what it's like when you've got a big job, um, or you've had a disaster report that's exploded everywhere. You know, it's not very encouraging to go into a dirty working space, tidy space, tidy mind. So um, I'm looking forward to having a big open space rather than two separate units to uh, to work from. So watch yeah. this space. So really looking forward to it. 
Yeah, so, we'll do cleanliness. We've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but I, when I first set up my shop, I didn't have a good role model, a good example for what a shop should be. Yeah. And so when I did my shop originally, I tried to be neat and tidy, but it was still a mess. I had shelves and I put like these uh, swinging covers, almost like um, like an awning type window where it was hinged at the top. They, they flipped up to like grab stuff and they folded down. It was really just to hide. It wasn't to keep the dust or dirt out. It was just to hide everything, right? Mm. And that was attached to each section of the shelf. And my shop, it was messy. It was just messy. And I went to a metal worker shop that I made the first erosion sink for. His name was Jeff Hebbets. He had this really cool company called Metal Media. And I went to their shop and it was phenomenally well organized. Everything was in its place. Everything was um, designated like clamps, uh, every tool, the welders, grinders, grinding wheels, blankets, all the tables, everything was just so clean and precise and organized. And I said to him, I'm like, dude, how do you keep it like this? And he's like, I can't afford not to keep it like this. Yeah. I can't afford to walk around for 30 minutes looking for a tool. It has to, everything has to stay like this for me to be productive. And I didn't really understand that at the time, but um, over time I've slowly, every, every time I kind of move shops or, you know, you kind of get a hair up your butt every now and then you're just like, I'm going to clean the shop up. And you just spend like a week tearing everything out and throwing all the stuff away and cleaning up. But I get a little bit more organized, a little more organized. And now like, because of what's going on at my shop now, I don't have my stuff set up. So everything's just kind of on the floor. I have like, you know, power tools here and hand tools here and drill bits over here, but it's all on the floor because we don't have anything set up. Mm. And I hate it because right now I'm like, Oh, I just need to go get, uh, the Sawzall. And I walk back there. I can't find a Sawzall. And I walk around and I walk around. I'm looking over here. I'm looking over there. I'm like, where's the Sawzall? Like, it needs to be like when my shop is set up, there's a drawer and I know exactly where it is. And I don't spend 30 minutes. I spend three seconds. And yeah. And so that's, you know, my new guy, um, he doesn't really know who I am yet. You know, he, he sees glimpses of my OCD from time to time, but I'm like letting it slide right now. But once we get the, uh, the shop set up, he's going to know, like, listen, dude, like everything has a place. It needs to be put back in its place. I like the cords wrapped this way. I like tools facing this direction. I like this. I like that. It has to be swept. It has to be clean every damn day. We never leave a mess. And yeah, we'll see. It's, it comes down, this thing comes down to like time as well. It's like, it's shop layout. You can't be walking, you know, 30 yards in your shop from one side to another, constantly getting things because what that time adds up and we, you and John spoken about before on the podcast and we talk about casting and you know, there's a certain way that you like to do things now that you think is the best way because, you know, ultimately it saves you time because time is the only commodity. You know, it's not a commodity. It's the only thing on earth we can't buy more of, you know, you get a certain amount of it. You don't know how long you get and once it's gone, it's gone. You know, there's no coming back from that. And for me, you know, understanding and learning that has led me to be a lot more productive in what I do in my workshop. And also that's one of the reasons why this is not about, let's make it about Kodiak and how great Radmix is. You know, ultimately it just allowed me to be more efficient and to do things quicker. And that doesn't necessarily just mean let's earn more money from more projects so you can get them out quicker. You know what it really means for me, being able to go home at a reasonable time and see a little boy and see Ashley, you know, spend time with them, you know, and that's because those those hours add up, you know, every week, and you know, every month. So you know, it's it's highly important that I think we're all economical with our time in our workshops. You know, we're not just doing things because we should work hard. Because everyone says you need to work hard, 
uh, and setting it up properly and putting things back and keeping it clean and tidy helps with all those things. Because if you if you actually timed yourselves how much time you probably wasted in a week looking for things, you know, putting things back or not tidying up or having like a big tidy up every three weeks, that time adds up and it's quite scary when you actually look at how much time you're wasting. Um, if for me anyway, at least. Yeah. Well, yeah, John and I were just talking about this because there was a discussion someplace where some some guys that are fairly new to the concrete industry were kind of beating their chest about working long hours. You know, they just work 12 hours a day, seven days a week, and that's kind of a, a point of pride for them. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, if you don't have relationships, I guess if you don't have kids or pets or uh, anything like that, and I was there at one time when I started my company in 2004, I didn't have, I mean, I had a girlfriend, but we weren't that serious. I had a dog. She went to work with me every day. I didn't have any house plants. I didn't have any fish. I didn't have any reason to go back to my apartment. And I could literally work, you know, 15, 16, 17 hours straight. And I could just sleep on one of my casting tables, throw a blanket down and just take a nap and get up and keep going. And I could do that. It wasn't a good quality of life and you burn yourself out quick. But today with three kids and a wife, it, there's no way I could do that. And, you know, when it gets really past like 5, 5.15, my wife is calling me like, when are you coming home? What's your ETA? The kids are going crazy, you know? Get home yeah. as soon as you can. It's just one of those things like, yeah, quality of life and time are so important. There's, you know, you talk about rad mix and maker mix and, and what it does for time, and that's a big part of it. There's also just the aspect of we're always, and I know you're the same, we're always trying to make the best products we can make at that point in time. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was a point in time when Buddy Road's products were the best products that I could get my hands on to make what I, what I made. And there was a point in time before that when it was Forton from Hiram Ball. That was the best thing I could get my hands on. And, you know, there's a time before that and a time before that. But there's always, there's always uh, kind of the next generation. And when that comes out, I want to I be using the very best I can. And for us, yep. for me and John, Kodiak is is us kind of just keep keep moving that goalpost further and further of like, how good can we make this product? How good can the end product be? And that's our goal with it because, it, you know, time savings are a big part of it, uh, but just quality, 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 quality. That's, we really want a high quality product because our reputations as craftsmen ride on what we make. And if we're using, you know, just QuickCrete 5000, It'll get hard. A plate's not going to fall through it, but it's not of the same quality as if you're using Rad Mix or Maker Mix. I'm going to give you a superb kind of um, piece on that now. So a friend of mine in the UK, really good friend of mine, Reggie, love him to death. He um, he quoted a job for 120 or 130 sinks, vanity units, so integral integral basin, and they are not very big, 1.5 meters, which is about four. Maybe maybe five and a half foot in your money. So just a standard vanity, right? For 130 of them, and there's a very well-known concrete company. I won't name them, you know, copyright or whatever, um, all over the world, and they make basins. That's all they do. And they also quoted this job, and this job is touching, you know, half a million. It's a big job. It's a very profitable job if you can get it right. Now the point is, he he rings me and said, "I've got this job to quote. I need to make a sample." for it, uh, blow them away. So he makes a sample of the sink, um, the finished sink. He actually goes out of his own way and makes a sample of the sink. And the other company does the same, right? And 
weeks and weeks go by and there's multiple meetings about who's going to get it blah 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 anyway he rings me this is a god's honest truth he rings me on a tuesday or wednesday morning at nine o'clock so i'm really gutted i didn't get the job you know they love the sample but the the owner it's a big office complex that they've been putting these things he essentially says that he wants to go with the company this other company he's used before because using before you know they had problems he wants to use them because you know better the devil you know I was like, I'm really feeling, I'm really sorry for you, you know, but you got paid for the sample, you know, learn from it, you know, ask him what you could have done, blah, blah, blah. And that was it. He brings me back the same day at three o'clock in the afternoon and he said, I need two pallets of Radmix because each pallet of Radmix will do like, I think it's like 3,000 kilo, nearly three tons. And he said, I need a, two pallets of Radmix. And I was like, why? And he said, I've got the job. And this is the godson is true to talk about quality. The, the designer has a meeting with the client and the designer, for some reason, in his wisdom, thought I'll just take Reggie's sink with me and put it in the meeting room and he put it in the meeting room next to this sink by this other company and as the story goes I was told by Reg the owner of the complex walked in walked straight up to Reggie's sink touched it like hand fucked it and went oh my god this is beautiful you know these are going to look amazing and the designer went that's the wrong sink (laughs) (laughs) he said what, what do you mean? He said, that's your sink over there. And he turned to this sink and he says something like, I don't want that piece of crap or, you know, yeah. I'm not having that fruit fruit bowl. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, forget about that. This is the one I want. And that's how we got the job. Just based on a sample, Radmix looking yeah. 10 times better than this company's mix. And it, it, to me, I, I knew this anyway, but it struck me and it was kind of like, wow, if, if he had have used his old mix, as he put it to me, it had been full of holes. Mm-hmm. It had this, it had that. It looked, it had looked like the other companies. But because this came out looking like ceramic, and they, they only came out, wow, this is this is what I'm having, this is what I want. He won you know, a job or two of a lot of money because of it. And, then, and for me, that's just evidence of what the path I am on in my business. And you know, I can probably speak for John, why he's not here, and yourself as well. And correct me if I'm wrong. It's the same for you. You know, It tells me I'm on the right path. Yeah, because if it if it wins me those kind of those jobs are not easy to get as well. There's lots of a big vetting process for those, you know. For me, that's all the evidence I need, you know. Despite the fact what I see every day in my workshop, um, for me, that's no better example for quality for me. One hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's this weird thing because we live in a world where we're business owners, and so economics are extremely important, and we need to be profitable and. For again, for Kodiak, for John and I's mission, profitability is a big part of what we do. Because if you're remaking pieces, you're not profitable. If you're waiting in a two-week cycle for everything to cure properly, for you can seal it, for you can do that, for you can do that, you're not profitable. Mm. If pieces fail after a year in the field, you're not profitable. And so, and then time. You know, the other thing is something that we've talked about so many times is like so many people in this industry do not value their time as they should as business owners. And so if you're spending two to three times more time making a piece, you're not profitable. So mm-hmm. profitability is super important for what we do. But I would say the quality trumps profitability for us. You know, it, it, for me, my legacy is more important than profitability. My legacy mm-hmm. yeah. to my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids, when they can see what I made and the quality of it, and it's still standing, you know, two, three hundred years from now. My great great grandkids are playing ping pong on a concrete ping pong table I made. That's pretty amazing. That's worth far more than an extra hundred bucks in my bank account today because of whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because I used a cheaper mix. So I saved a hundred bucks, you know. So it's one of those things that 
quality for me, quality of the end product is so paramount. And it is for John too. We never, ever sacrifice any bit of the process from the raw ingredients to how it's mixed, how it's bagged, how it's stored, the, how, the length that it's stored for. All that stuff is so important for us for quality for the end product. I would guess how many sinks he's had to reach. He's made, he's made 80 sinks now on 90. Genuinely, have a guess how many he's had to recast. Zero. One. Well, I was one. 100% wrong then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But one, and he's, he, the reason was his helper, Rob, who calls himself the goat. Really uh, funny man. Really funny man. Dude, he's, he's, it's always the helper that does it too. Yeah, but he, what he, Rob, what did he do? I think Reggie said something to him, like, oh, don't pour that in yet. I need to let it slake a bit longer or something like that. And he's Reggie said it came out of like a kind of like a strange spot in one corner. He said, I could probably just send it. He said, but because the other 18, you know, 89 or 79 look <laughs> immaculate, he said, I just can't let it slide. Yeah. So one, and I, I, I said to him originally when he quoted it, I said, I'd be surprised if you have to make re, remake more than five. And so far, one out of, you know, 120 is what, what's that? 70% of the way through. That's insane. Yeah. You know, and it, and it wasn't due to a material defect. It was due, no. due to human error with casting. Yeah. The repeatability is fucking crazy. And mm-hmm. his, his, his business partner is his wife. And there's another lady that works for them as well. And she rang and she said, you know, it was actually the time I was getting a lot of the shit on the forums about being a sellout and, you know, all that kind of rubbish. And I was telling her because I'm. I'm quite a sensitive person that regard. I take things out of heart and I think, have I, have, am I, am I doing that? Or, you know, that's, that's just the way I'm a very intrinsic person. I look at myself before I blame anybody else. And I was telling her about it, Michelle. And she said, her response was, she's from London and down in London in the UK, I'm up in the North. They're very, you know, straight to the point, you know, a spade to spade. And she said, I couldn't give a shit where anybody else is saying what you said this mix would do for us is doing what it's doing. You know, you're yeah. a businessman. At the end of the day, you know, of course you want to make money selling something, but you said it'd do what it'd do. Because Reggie came up to me and I trained him on how to use it for a day. That's all it took one day, you know, one day to show him how to use it. You know, in fact, it was about three hours. And she said, you know, it doesn't make a difference what anybody thinks. You're doing the right thing for you and your business and your family. It doesn't matter. So it's really from that point on because of her and a little pep talk where I thought, you know what? I don't really care if people Dude. think I'm a sellout. Who's in the pudding? It's funny. It's funny because I'm like you. Where sometimes it starts, I start to, it starts to get to me in a way, like it starts to eat mm-hmm. at me and I'm like, huh, what, what? Like, you know, I don't, I don't do anybody wrong. I don't talk trash about people. I don't try to hurt people's businesses. You know, and I'm like, what is going on? And, um, it starts to eat at you after a while. But, uh, but then I'm like, I just don't care. I legit don't care. You know, yeah. so there's a couple other podcasts that have popped up that pertain to concrete. And I've had people hit me up that listen to him. I honestly, I haven't listened to him. Um, not because I don't want to or anything like that. It's just, I don't have the time. I've been, I've been so busy. Like I can't return phone calls right now or emails because I've been so busy working, trying to get the shop up so I can get back to client work, which is backing up dramatically. But that being said, I've had some people hit me up and they're like, Hey, what do you, what do you, you know, this podcast, you're talking about this. What do you think about that? And I'm like, first of all, I don't care. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. Um, second of all, these other podcasts, great. It's good to have discussions. But the people that are hosting these podcasts don't do this for a living. This isn't their business. This isn't what they do. They do not run successful businesses doing this. So, I mean, you know, if I go to the gas station, the person checking me out, they could do a podcast on concrete. To me, it's the same difference. Their opinion matters not to me. I just don't care. I don't care. I don't have time to care. I don't care. 
And so I was like, I'm not being um, callous to it or anything like that. It's just like, I do this and I, this is all I've done. John does this. This is all John's done. You do this. This is all you do. So we're not, we're not people sitting on the sidelines, you know, kind of like armchair quarterbacking, telling people what they should do when we don't actually do it. So for me, it's just like the quality of information, the relevance of information, that kind of stuff. If other people that don't do this for a living want to do a podcast on concrete, knock yourself out. It's free world. Do it. But those, those discussions to me are just of no value to me. That's just me. You made a point on another podcast recently, and, and it is very true. And it turned out, you know, the burger, you know, you might go to a restaurant, you know, obviously paraphrasing, and you think, oh, that's the best burger I've ever had. You know, and somebody else goes and doesn't like it. You know, ultimately, it's just your opinion. And I, I find it, I used to be in the strength and conditioning industry. I used to train athletes for a living and personal train people. And I, I got out of that world because it was so bitchy and political and, and just nasty to be involved, very negative. Because people, you know, there's, there's a multitude of ways of, you know, getting stronger and bigger and leaner or whatever. And people get so kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? You get so kind of set in their ways and my way is the only way, you know, and when somebody else gave an opinion that wasn't the same as theirs, you get so, you know, pissed off about it. And I think when you give an opinion, every time you give an opinion, I'm, I'll be honest with you, because I text you and say, I'm waiting for the backlash, you know, because people seem to really care about what you say. And ultimately, it's just your opinion. You know, I mean, like the thing on the forum not too long ago about making, you know, external, you know, internal form, sorry. And it's because, well, you would say that because you sell the mix. And it's like, well, you know, I just think it's a quicker way. And then people try and go out of their way to prove that you're wrong. And it's like, well, it's, I find that crazy. <laughs> well, I, again, I don't care because you can spray Maker Mix and hand pack it. Be our guest. A load of it. Yeah. Do it. Do it. Like, I don't, it, the way you cast your concrete and how you run your business has zero impact on my life. I'm just sharing what I have found to be the best way to run a successful business. And this is just my own, yeah, my own experience, my own opinion on this. Because I used to spray. I, When I say that I taught the first class on GFRC, it's a fact. And people are like, oh, how dare you say you taught? Bro, I did. I did. It's a fact. I taught the first class on it. I've been spraying GFRC and handpacking GFRC for far longer than most of those guys have even been in business. And I don't do it anymore. And that's just me because over the years and having employees and having different employees spray and the inconsistencies and the recast. And, you know, if I did 20 things for a project, probably five would be recast. That's, a, that's 25% that I have to recast. And I lost all the profit in that project. Yeah, in, well. yeah, in materials and time and wages and lost opportunity for other projects I could have been working on instead of recasting those things. And so when I say, here's how I would approach it, I found this to be more profitable. Yeah, you might use another sheet of melamine to make your backer mold, but you're going to spend one quarter of the amount of time casting versus spraying and hand packing. And the chances of recasting are, you know, about one in a hundred versus one in four. That's just my own opinion. Take it for what it is. You know, when advice is free, it has no value. And people can take it or leave it. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. The biggest thing I learned, though, about it is, I mean, everyone knows I like spray. And I spent a long time learning how to spray a perfect miscoat. And it's not as easy as some people think it is. Um, you know, it's difficult, you know, to get it to come out looking like quartz or ceramic. It's not easy, you know, as you know yourself. But I, I digress. I came to the conclusion, and I spoke to somebody this other day who's coming to the course, and I said, because he asked me about that waterfall table I've just done, it's a 10 foot long, uh, post tension. Um, and they said, why didn't you just spray it? It'd have been quicker. 
And I said, ultimately, it probably would have been quicker to spray that and hand pack it and, and all that jazz than spending two days making the external, internal mold and you know, bracing it. But I said, let me ask you a question. If I make a mistake with that mold, what do I do? I go to my shelf and I get another piece of wood off it that's ready-made to be cut. And, you know, it's, it's a mere hour or so to fix it. If I have to remake the concrete because I go for the face coat or it slides or whatever, you know, what, what have I got to do? I've got to make all the form work again. I've got to, you know, reset it again. I've got to batch out again. I've got to spray it again. I've got to do this or I'm going to SCC at this time and take up more time. My point really was to them is that it's much easier to replace a piece of wood or a mold than it is to piss around with concrete. And for me, that was kind of the epiphany with this, um, you know, with, with this style of casting because it's just, you know, less stressful. I can now go in to a mold, mix. I've got two pan mixers, um, so I can mix about, what is it, 400 kilos, or 880 pounds at one time, and then just literally, you know, dump it into one leg, let it go all the way to the other side, and then fill up two legs in two hours and clean up. About two, I think it was three hours on my own to cast that. Yeah. You know, no, no, no when I say no stress, don't look around, you know yourself, you're always looking at the form, listening for all the... What's that? What's that creak? You know, what's, what's that noise? Get some more screws. Yeah, get more clamps. Dude. But yeah, but the thing is, you you're casting it. There's no mess, really, relatively speaking. You know, you're not messy. You're not dirty. You're not having to clean these, that, and the other. Oh, yeah. For me, it was just it was. I honestly, God, walked in, relaxed, thinking I've got to cast this big table now. You know, not worrying about anything. Yeah, know? put on I mean, some chill music. You have all your stuff yeah. ready to go. Your ice is weighed out. Your TVP's weighed out. You get the yeah. mixer going, and there's a couple yeah. little drips on the floor from where you were pouring, and it dripped on the floor. You scrape that off, and you're done. Cover it with plastic and blankets. Call a day. And you're yeah, in and I mean, out before lunchtime. It's pretty amazing. So this is John because I sprayed a um, fire table recently. This thing is easy just to spray to make mold because of all the angles and stuff. Um, it's Jake Brady's design. It's not mine, you know, but you know the one. And um, anyway, I sprayed all the door <laughs> of the workshop, and this is a brand new electric door the landlord had put in. And I was like, shit. Yeah. And I I didn't realize until the next day. If it had been my old polymer mix, you know, uh, European fort on equivalent. It stuck like shit to your shoe. Because this has no polymer, I literally just scraped it off with a green pad. And I rang John. I was like, oh, my God, it's like save my bacon. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not sticky. Even when it's on tools and stuff, it's so much easier to clean. I think John's had a few people say that to him. So, um, you know, I found that quite amusing. Because, oh, shit, I just ruined like a £3,000 door. And it was okay. So Yeah, yeah. yeah the glue in a mix is, it, I mean, there was a time when that was the best. Uh, but anymore, it's not the not the best way to approach it. Saying that what you just said, I was watching. It was on on your forum on Facebook, on mm-hmm. your Facebook group. Somebody posted a video and they're spraying. I think it was on yours, or maybe maybe it's something. Maybe it's on Instagram. But somebody is spraying, and I could see the overspray shooting over the form and hitting stuff in the back in the video. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, I, I mean, I remember those days. All my cabinets were covered in overspray. The tables, everything had overspray on it. My air compressor, everything was covered in overspray. And I do not miss that at all. I do not miss that yeah. at all. Um, and it was just atomized in air. I hated that too. You'd spray it. And, you know, whether you think that's bad for you or not, it's bad for you. You're atomizing a concrete mix that has all these, you know, fine particulates in it, and you're putting it in the air. When you're spraying GFRC, if you look up at the lights, you'll see yeah. a and haze in your shop. Hour. Exactly. It's like all day. All exactly. Day. I've, I've walked out, had my mask on all day, and walked out, 
you know, even had the big door open all day. And then, as you say, walking in the light in the day and I can still see it in the air and I'm thinking, this is not good. You know, my friend Andy said that to me, Gecko, he uses Radmix over here and he said the same. He, he doesn't spray anymore. In fact, he said to me, do you want to buy him a hopper gun? I was like, no, you're right. I don't really use it myself. So um, just health. You know, and I like the fact that as somebody keeps posting their videos and spraying, it is nice to see them wearing a mask because for too long I didn't, like an idiot. And, uh, yeah, it is scary what that can do in the long term. Well, that's another thing that people kind of had a a source of, like, chest-beating pride on was trying to, like, not show any weakness by wearing PPE. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been in training environments, whether they're, like, a blue epic type thing or even my own training classes. And, you know, we tell people, hey, guys, you know, we tell them in the email before they come to the class, bring safety classes, bring earplugs, yeah. bring a cartridge style mask. But I'll tell them, please put put your mask on. I know, you know, it, I know it's a little bit uh, of a burden to put that stuff on, but please wear it. But I've seen people that, you know, it, for them, it's like it's not macho to wear a mask. It's not macho to put on uh, safety glasses. Safety glasses yeah. And then it gets sand in their eye because they're, you know, spraying a corner and they spray the sand down. All goes in their eyes. It's just like, bro, bro, what are you doing? Just put on the safety glasses. Who cares? Who cares what other people think? You know, this goes back to what I was just saying about not caring. A lot of caring. John and I are having this conversation just like two days ago. We we're talking about this. And I was telling him, John, I don't care. I don't care. So much of caring is ego. When you get to the point of not caring what anybody thinks, then you're actually free. You're free to 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 live your life as you want to. And if I'm in a training environment, if I'm around other concrete guys and I'm like, you know, if I put on my mask, they're going to think I'm weak, then I care. You know, and that's your ego messing with you to where you care. I don't care, bro. I don't care. I've been wearing Crocs. Do you know what Crocs are? These shoes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, little, yeah. my little boy has them, yeah. Yeah, my, my girls do too. Well, Dusty came to my shop, I don't know, like a year ago, two years ago, wearing Crocs because he broke his feet and yeah. uh, work boots kill him, so he wears Crocs. Came to my shop wearing Crocs, and I was making fun of him, you know, like, oh, my God, Dusty, I can't believe you're wearing those things. He's like, hey, say what you want, man. These things are comfortable, right? And so, I don't know, like three or four months ago, I went and bought a pair just to wear around the house because uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I can slip them on and walk around, you know, and and uh, whatever. Dude, I've been wearing them every day since. I work <laughs> in them. I go to the coffee shop. I don't care. I don't care. Like, I'm just like, I don't care, bro. I don't care if you, like, think that uh, my Crocs look goofy. I don't care. Whatever. I wear flip flops. I'll take Leonardo to school. My, and we call them builders' trousers over here, like workman's trousers. And my t shirt on, though. Um, and uh, my socks. I put my bottom of my pants into my socks because they get caught on the floor because I'm only five foot ten. And uh, I wear flip flops. And you can see some of the funny looks I'm getting off people because I'm wearing flip flops. so comfortable wearing them. So, yeah, I, I know the feeling. Yeah. yeah. Not caring is one of those wonderful things in life that comes of age. My mom always told me that, and my nan, who both of them brought me up, they always said that to me, you know, things in life will come at time and age, and, you know, as you get older, you just don't give a shit anymore. Because you realise what really matters, you know, um, and things like that don't really matter. So having said that, I don't think I'm going to bring my flip-flops over to the course in Joe's shop. Oh, you can (laughs) if you want. I mean, I'm going to bring my flip-flops, and I'll bring my Crocs. I don't care. Uh, there's a type of psychology. He was a, I've talked about this before a long time ago. I'm trying to think, I'm going to name the guy. Anyways, the, the long short of it is what he kind of came to the conclusion of was ultimate freedom in life is not caring about other people's opinions. I mean, that's really, I read this whole book on his, uh, on his philosophy. 
And at the end of the day, it all distilled down to when you get to the point of not caring what your spouse thinks, what your peers think, what you know your parents think, any of that, when you just live your life 100% the way you want to live your life, you're truly free. But very few of us ever get to that point. Mm-hmm. We never, I mean, when I buy a truck, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking like, how does this represent me as a person? You know, mm-hmm. does, is this a good representation of me? And you're projecting yeah. yourself to the world of who you are. You know, when yep. you when you wear clothes, you're projecting yourself through the clothes you wear um, of who you are. And that's all at some at some level caring what other people think, because if you didn't care, yeah, it wouldn't play into it. Yeah, you would just mm-hmm. you'd buy the cheapest truck you could and you wouldn't care what it looked like. It gets you from A to B. It puts you know, you can put stuff in the back and haul it where you need to go. You'd buy the cheapest clothes you could find. It wouldn't care what they look like. They keep you warm, you know, but we all to some level care. But as time goes on, I care less and less and less about the opinions of other people, which I think is freeing to, to you know, to uh, mm-hmm. your psychology and your well-being. Because when you do care, when you're always worried about what other people are thinking and their opinions and stuff like that, it starts, it does eat at you. And, you know, it's good to get past that. Right. Obviously, you know, what I've, I've been through recently, I think you have to go through, I think you have to go through that storm to come out the other side of it and realize that actually, you know, learn from it and say, you know what, really don't care what people think of me. The people that, the people that matter, you know, the people that need to know certain things, they know, they know the truth. You know, they know who I am as a person. You know, these other people don't matter. Their opinions do not matter to me. Do you know what I mean? So, I mean, for me, if my mom, Ashley, you know, as long as those people and a few other friends of mine close to me, you know, if they... If they give me opinions stuff, I will listen, you know, because it puts me on the straight and narrow. Because I think you said before about Erin, sometimes she's like, no, you've looked at that the wrong way, or I can see why somebody's taking offense. So um, they're the opinions I really care about now, more than ever. More than ever. So, um, but you have to go through it to learn that, you know. That's And that's a funny thing about humanity, isn't it? We're always repeating the mistakes that other generations made. We don't learn from them. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy, you know. Yeah, or or, you know, at some point you have clarity and you see the mistakes and hopefully like, you know, yeah. we talked about, I mean, John talked about this. Like when I grew up, I used to get beat, like not, not spanked, but like legit beat, beat with a belt, beat with a switch, beat with a whatever, you know, whatever my mom could get her hands on or my dad's get his hands on. I was beat with it. And, um, and that was kind of the de facto response to anything was just get beat. And, um, you know, now that I have kids, uh, my, my instinct, because the pattern was set, is I want to respond in anger. And, you know, yeah. when, when things, when they spill something, I'm just, ah! you just want to like grab something and beat them because uh, that's your instinct. But breaking those cycles, breaking those patterns, I think that's also important as well. So, yeah, it's all part of it. Just to hit back on, back on, back on concrete, if this is still a concrete podcast. It should be. Yeah, it should be the concrete podcast. Um, it's Allegedly. People telling me uh, that you should spray that. It would have been so much quicker. I think it comes down to also you don't know what you don't know. You know, yeah. you've, not ex- you've not experienced that. So you don't know that it's actually a safer and easy way for me to cast something. You know, you've got stuff go wrong. I've had stuff go wrong. And ultimately, I think those experiences shape, you know, why we do things now because we've learned what we think is a better way. And that's 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 why I don't get offended when people say you should have sprayed, you should have done this, because ultimately it's like, yeah, fair enough, you know, I could have, but, you know, it doesn't work for me now. So, and that's okay. Like I said, I've, I've had some people contact me and 
asked me questions about some of these discussions on some other podcasts or other Facebook groups that are secret or whatever. And, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And what you just said is kind of the way I view it is people don't know what they don't know. They're speaking from a place of where they currently are on, on the cycle of, you know, being a business owner. And there was a time in my career early on when I thought I had it all figured out. You know, I was certain. Mm. My confidence level was so high. I know what is up, you know. Uh, and, and then you kind of get humbled again yeah. and again and again and again. <laughs> and you start to realize, hmm, hmm, I thought I had it figured out. Man, I haven't figured it out. And then you really get humbled. And then you almost go out of business. And, you know, all these things, that the cycle. And then you start to get things figured out a little bit further than you once had them. And, uh, and then you start to kind of get a little bit more clarity on the situation, but people are on different points in that path. And so, you know, there's, there's people, they post, uh, Instagram photos, videos, Instagram videos or Facebook videos, and their confidence is like at 1000, right? Mm -hmm. I laugh and John laughs and we're like, you know, they're in for a world of pain. They don't know it yet. They don't know because they're, they're in that early stage of like extreme confidence, but lacking experience or, or oversight of like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. And another thing is if somebody call if somebody calls up and says, Hey, you should have sprayed it. Hey bro, when you do it, you spray it. When you, when you make that table, you spray it in your shop. This yeah. I did. It. I did it like this. You can spray it. And whichever way I do it has no effect on you anyway. So I don't know why you care. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You know, I've, I've upset people on forums because of having an opinion about, you know, stone masonry compared to, you know, what we do. And, Things that, you know, people I generally respected and really liked, you know, I, I, you know, they no longer speak to me because I had an opinion about something that they held dear to their heart. And it's a shame because it was never said and nothing's ever said by you or John, you know, with intent to hurt people or, you know, piss people off. But unfortunately, that's just human nature is to take it that way. You know, we all do it to some extent, you know, somewhere down the line, you know, if, we, if you've got a favorite sports team and someone says something about them, you think, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's it's perfectly normal to do that, but it's a shame, especially in such a niche, small industry. I think, you know, we're never all going to get along because we're just different. You know, a lot of us are just different people. But it'd be it'd be nice if we could, and there wasn't so much fighting all the time, um, especially around sealers and polymers. And you know, the other podcast you mentioned <laughs> at the moment is that you know you must have a polymer for these reasons. And it's a shame John's not with us because, you know, we know what he's done to this mix so it doesn't need a polymer but here's the deal okay so so two things the people saying that on these podcasts don't do this for a living Mm. so okay bro show me all the pieces you made for clients that are out in the in the world you know in universities and restaurants and office buildings and homes that your name and your reputation's writing on has polymers in it oh you don't have any oh okay but you're telling everybody that does this for a living how to do it for a living but you don't do it for a living oh okay that makes sense so that's number one. Number two, the products that they're all pointing to, John was the person behind those products back in the day. Back in the day, the Buddy Rhodes mix, John developed those. John mm-hmm. developed those products. And those are built around liquid polymers and powdered polymers because that, at that point in time, was the best technology that was available. John had not come to these new mixes at that point because it's all an evolution. You're always moving forward. And at that point... That was the best, but it's not the best anymore. And for anybody, like, I don't, if you want to use a polymer, use a polymer. I really don't care. I, it doesn't affect me in any way. But you have to ask yourself, if a polymer made a better mix, wouldn't we be using it with Kodiak Pro? Absolutely. A thousand percent. Yeah. I mean, if, if 
polymer made it better, we would have polymer in our mix. It's as simple as that. We, w we don't have a vendetta against polymer. Polymer didn't kick my dog. Polymer didn't sleep with my wife. I don't have anything against polymer. Like, what are you doing over there? I was bloody up in front of me. I found on the floor, put them back in. <laughs> Sounds like you're rolling around. Um, but uh, polymer, dude, I mean, I don't, it's one of those things It's like people are like, oh, yeah. it's something like, you know, stake a flag on a hill and, and want to go to war over. And it's like, if you want to use it, use it, bro. John and I used to use polymer. John developed all these mixes that used to use, uh, still use polymer. People are still using it. Um, because at the time we thought that was the best thing. John thought that was the best thing. But in time you have um, epiphanies and you move the ball forward and you come out with better things. And that's where we are today. And if polymer was good for the mix, we would use polymer in the mix. It's as simple as that, but it's not. So we don't, but if you want to, then do it. You know, it doesn't the, affect the me. The issue I have with people suggesting that polymer is required for free soil resistance, for oh, flexibility, yeah. for X, Y, Z. My only, I, I want to say problem with it. I don't go to bed at night getting angry. My only concern is that when people say that, people, a couple of people contacted me saying, oh, I'm, I'm a bit reticent to try code it because there's no polymer in it. <laughs> you know, and that, that, that for me is kind of, you know, it's kind of, it's not disappointing, but it's kind of a case of, well, you don't know what you're missing out on. And yeah. two, why why don't you just try it for yourself first and then see, you know, rather than just taking, you know, mine, yours, John's or whoever's word for whatever product, you know, try and for yourself, you know. In other words, people are kind of buying into the fact that you must have it and it is required for these reasons. Um, and, that, you know, I've spoken to John about this and sometimes there's only things that is the irony. I love John. But he'll bring me sometimes, like, you know, so uh, he starts spouting out chemistry to me and I'm like, okay. And then and he like, do you understand? And I'm thinking, yes, ish, sort of. He, he's, he's the kind of person that you need to have answer these questions for us. But then you need to kind of break it down into layman's terms, you know, from John's kind of chemistry speak. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's a shame that people think that polymer is required and that because Kodiak doesn't have it, then they're not prepared to try it. That's their loss. Well, you know, the, the thing about it is people that want to try to diminish what we're doing or harm our business or whatever, we'll try to find any reason to do that. So, oh, it's a white mix. You should use gray. Gray is way better than white. No, okay, whatever. You know, oh, oh, they don't have polymer. Oh, oh you know, we'll, we'll focus on that and make that the thing. Okay, okay. I think, I think the point that gets missed by a lot of people is the people that are spouting those things are people that don't do this. Whether it's a competing product, the people that own that company don't do this for a living. They're salesmen that don't do this. They are selling products to guys that do this, but they don't do it. And so that's number one. Or maybe it's another training venue, you know, but the people that are teaching those classes, the people that own that, that training venue don't do this for a living. So again, it's like, if you want to take your advice from your pizza delivery guy or your dentist or your car mechanic on how to do concrete, it's the same thing. It's the equivalent of taking advice from those people because they all share the same thing in common. They don't do this for a living. Me and John do. You do. The, you do. The, other, the other thing, yeah, um, first, let me, before I go on to that, I mean, let me say, here's the benefits for me of not having no polymer, apart from the fact that, you know, tools are easy to clean, you know, some people will laugh at that, but apart from that, Ultimately, for me, it's a case of, you know, I, I do, you see, like, you know, glaze finishes, stain finishes, you know, my coating effect, you know, that sells very well. 
and I've no intention to stop anytime soon. You know, but the point is, without with no polymer now, I can cast Monday, demold Tuesday, polish. And I can immediately glaze it the following day. I haven't got to wait for two or three days for the concrete to dry and you know, be well cured and, and all this jazz and then worry about sealing it. Because I've got to protect it with a topical, you know, just you know, the cotton and finish is so much stain on there. It's got to be protected. So, you know, I haven't then got to wait another three or four or five days for this polymer to cure out in the concrete. You know, for me, if people are dead set on using the topical, that's probably one of the biggest points they should be looking at this mix they could seal sooner you yeah. know yeah. john's probably sitting there now pulling out what little hair he's got left <laughs> no topical <laughs> but the point is is that there's, there's nothing retaining moisture you know there is but there's nothing as in doing it in such a way that you've got to wait five days to be even to, be able to seal this piece yeah um you know it's and the, th- the thing is i've been using this mix now for 18 19 months I see some pieces regularly, they're outside, you know, they're getting hit by frost and rain every day because it's the UK and we had a really cold winter the last couple of winters and it was frost quite quite a lot. And those mixes fine, yeah, absolutely fine. Are those pieces fine, yep, they're fine. You know, because that was the other thing I was kind of hitting on that, you know, somebody said recently that these mix haven't been around for long enough, which I found quite ironic because some of the products these people that were saying to sell, when they, when they introduced some of their products and certainly recently, well, they've not really had been around long enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Is the irony? Well, Dude, the irony is enough. thick in this in this in this uh, industry. The irony is thick. There's people that are like selling sealer today. They've used them on two or three projects, and uh, they're trying to mm. sell to people that have bashed our sealers for years for you know different reasons of like oh they they change it all the time or whatever. It's just like. Really? Really? And here, I don't know. You're you're selling something to people that you've only used on two or three different things. And uh, if people, again, it's like kind of Darwinism. Um, if people want to go down with that ship, go down with it, bro. Like if you want to jump to something that's completely unproven, untested, um, repackaged, because again, there's very, very, very few products in this industry that are actually manufactured by the people selling them. Very few. Almost everything in this industry is a repackaged product from some other industry, whether it's brick and masonry or it's stone or it's steel. Mm. They're taking it, you know, they'll go to Sherwin-Williams or they'll go and they'll get uh, Valspar products or Rust-Oleum products and put it in a can and put a different label on it and sell it to you for concrete. It was never made for concrete. And they'll sell it to you because they they put on some little samples in their shop. And he said, well, it holds up great on your little four by four square piece in your shop. It does put it on a on a bar top at a stadium, you know, where it's going to bake in the sun. They're going to spell beer on it all day. And let's see how it holds up. It's probably going to look that good. But now your reputation and your livelihood and your profitability is riding on some sealer that you bought from some guy that put on a four by four sample in the shop. And it's some down packed product from a paint store. You know, I just find I find ironic this call that we haven't got hasn't got a track record, despite the fact that it's been out for, what, three years now? Four years? Is it three years? Four years? Well, but, the- but hold on. The, the, you say that. John is single-handedly, if anybody's been in the century for long enough, you know who John Schuler is. John is one of the few true concrete chemists of our industry that's actually you know generating new products and yeah. having innovative thought and inno- innovative ideas, not repackaging something. So he's coming out with new stuff. So this is just an iteration of things he's been working on for 20 years. It's yeah. progression, 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 progression. And that's where we are today. So, you know, to say, well, it's new. Well, no, no, John's been doing this 
for 20 years. This is, you know, the furthest that he's moved the goalpost so far of like what concrete is capable of. But he didn't just have an epiphany for how to make a better product three years ago. You know, this is, this has been going for 20 years. So this has been the mindset. So whatever, again, if people want to try to undermine or diminish, you always have to look at the motivations of the people doing it. The people doing it generally are going to be people that have a financial interest in trying to keep people from buying our product and buying their product. That's the people doing it. And it's just really comes down to sales. Like they're trying to, that's what, that's the, that's their motivation is, is to, to try to undermine what we're doing so they can sell more product. Okay. For me, it was a case of don't be ironic and say there's no track record here and then release products. themselves. <laughs> They've just come out you know, yeah. and say, well, they're supposed to be, you know, proprietary. Where's the track record there? That's fine. I just find it, it, did, it didn't bother me. I just find it amusing. I just thought yeah. it's quite funny. So I laugh so much. There is a lot of comedy in this industry, that's for sure. What I love about John, though, he rings me up. I've got to know him really well now. And he would bring me up so excited, like a kid in the cat, like, like a fat kid in the candy shop. <laughs> like, oh my God, I've just tried this thing. Now. Do, you, do you want to test it for me? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's fine with me. But he's so excited about it. And for me, that's kind of, I said this to him when I first spoke to him two or three or three, four years ago. For me, it's kind of like, it's being on the precipice of technology. You know, I never thought when I got into this, I'd be, you know, one of the, the guinea pigs, you know, for John to try a different style of mix or seal or whatever, you know, because why would I for a start? But the fact that I feel like now I'm on kind of the edge of the technology, I think that's pretty cool. And it I is. Think, it is. You know, it is because you think, if you, not comparing this to rocket science and that, but when you're when you're in that kind of those industries where you have these discoveries and you're at the kind of the epicenter of it, you know, you think you talk about ego before it's kind of like kind of little ego things like wow i i helped create that do you know what i mean uh-huh. to me that's pretty cool i i love things that are because you talk about legacy for me that's kind of you know a legacy you know for me in in an industry it's like you know i helped develop that or i helped it this or for me i, I just I, I i don't know i get a kick out of that so um yeah and it's plus the fact that when the person that makes your mix or designed the mix the pair of you ring and excited about something for me how could i not be excited by that because you know you can see that genuine passion from people you know it's inspiring you know why wouldn't it be you know that's why we all you know we watch podcasts sorry listen to podcasts or watch films that inspire us or read books it's to be inspired and to be motivated and to be better disciplined so yeah i do like that when he rings sometimes he rings and it's like oh shoot it's seven it's 12 o'clock at night at your time <laughs> like i'm in bed dude because he gets so excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John will call me like 8.30 p.m. Uh, that's when I'm putting my girls to, to bed. But I'll pick up because I think maybe it's an emergency of some sort. So yeah. I'll pick up. Yeah. Same thing. He's like, bro, bro, I left vinegar on it for 12 hours. Nothing. Nothing. I'm like, John, can we talk about this tomorrow, bro? I'm putting, <laughs> yeah. my, put, you like hear the girls crying in the background, you know, because it's bedtime. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, he's, yeah. He's so excited. Well, you say it's not it's not rocket science, and it's not rocket science, but concrete is the most abundant material in the world. Again, I, I gave a, a little TED talk and I discussed this, but if you add up all the all the wood, steel, and plastic used in the world every year and you double it, we use more concrete than that every year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. to be on the very, very cutting edge of what is possible with concrete, and that's what we're doing. You know, this material that is so abundant, 
or so prevalent, not abundant, but so prevalent in the world. It's used on everything. To be mm-hmm. at the very cutting edge of what that material is capable of is exciting. And in some ways, it is kind of like rocket science in yeah, the sense yeah, of, of you know, this isn't just some like little, little, you know, um, minuscule material that nobody uses that we're geeking out on. This is the most used material in the world. And we're, you know, there's huge companies, Lafarge and all these companies that are, you know, they have whole divisions of people trying to, to move the ball forward. And here's John over here doing yeah. it in his own way through innovative thought. He's definitely a, a innovative thinker. I've always loved John before me and John are business partners. We've been friends since the beginning and I've always loved John as a person. And, um, yeah, he's just a good dude. He's a good guy. He's a smart guy. He's an innovator. He's never satisfied. It doesn't matter how good something is. He always wants to make it better, which Wait, again is admirable. People will try to diminish. Oh, he's always, he's always changing it. No, he's always improving it, bro. He's making it better. And you should want that. You should want that. You should want it in every, you should want it in your cell phone and your laptop and your vehicle and your windows for your house. You should want everything to be improving over time and never just stagnating. What I like about him and obviously getting to know you as well, I've always said that my friends, you know, in say real life, you know, that, that live by me and, you know, in, in the UK, you need friends that tell you what you need to hear, you know, not what you want to hear. And that's what I like about, you know, showed you a design or showed, you know, ask John a question, you'll tell me, you tell me what I, I need to know. And that's the only way you can learn. And that's, you know, that's something that I don't take for granted. And I think that's very important, especially if you're, you're in business with people. You know, you need to be honest and upfront, you know, and not feel each other full of shit. Um, and, yeah, he's he's certainly honest. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't pull his punches. So, and... Uh, you know, well, I mean, we, we talked about a lot of stuff, but one thing we haven't really talked about is, is some concrete-related specific topics. And one that popped up on your Facebook group, I wouldn't call it a forum, but it's not a forum, it's a Facebook group, was yeah. um, somebody's asking about melamine. Yeah. And use melamine for forming. And, you know, I chimed in that that's all I've used is three quarter inch melamine really for 20 years now. Now I've, I've used steel, I've used plastic, I've used fiberglass, I've used rubber, but I'm just talking about day-to-day projects, countertops, sinks, uh, furniture, that kind of stuff. Melamine's my go-to and always has been because it's relatively inexpensive. It's easy to work with. I can pocket screw it together. I can glue it. I can silicone the edges and I can make a form fairly easily and make a piece out of that form uh, where the materials are really negligible as far as the cost of the, of the project. And, you know, is it reusable? No. But the problem with a huge steel table is I can't cut and modify as I need to. Um, the problem with sheets of HDPE or phenolic plywood or things like that is, you know, it's once you cut it up to make a complex shape, that's it. You're, you're kind of done. And so you're gonna have to throw that stuff away anyways. And the cost is dramatically higher. Is the environmental impact any better? I don't know. You know, I mean, you can spin it however you want to spin it. You could say that melamine is made of an industrial byproduct, sawdust. And as long as you're using formaldehyde-free melamine, which is what I use, formaldehyde-free, then they're taking sawdust, they're compressing it with glue, and then they're coating it with a melamine layer on each side. Okay, that sounds pretty environmentally friendly to me. They're taking industrial byproducts, sawdust, and uh, they're compressing it, making this material. Oh, mm-hmm. but but you know, feel like ply is made of veneered wood. Okay, but explain to me the difference. You know, it's still got glue. They're still compressing. They're still putting a phenolic coating on the outside. Yeah. Um, I think it's all a matter of opinion. But what are your thoughts on it? 
I too, I'm pretty much the same, to be honest with you. I mean, space for me has been the moment been a premium, so I really couldn't afford to have a big steel casting table. Um, to be quite honest with you, I, you know, turning in the beginning, it was certainly because it was more convenient to use my mine. And the more I have thought about having a steel table or an epoxy table or, you know, whatever table, to be perfectly honest, I I see the benefits. And maybe it's because I don't know what I don't know and I've not had one that I don't know what I'm missing out on. But for me, it's a case of if I, I, I can't justify having one table, you know, just to cast on, you know, a steel table to cast on and then everything else is kind of an outfeed table of the, um, you know, or I don't have the space of multiple steel tables. And the thing for me is, is a case of, because I wet polish as well, you know, unless I'm using stainless steel sheets, you know, you have to clean it and wax it and everything. In that time, I could have just taken a sheet of melamine off the shelf and made a form. Um, so I'll be honest, I'm happy with melamine. It's cheap, it's efficient, I know what to do with it. Um, it works for me. That's not to say that, you know, there's not a better option out there because maybe maybe I am missing out something. But I am aware of the waste that it does give. You know, that's one of the big things Ashley and I are trying to change is the amount of waste that we generate. Um, casting remakes have gone down, you know, tenfold. I think I've remade one thing in 18 months since using Radmix, genuinely. And that was my two things, and they were my mistake. Um, but in terms of, like, ward and all those kind of things, yeah, that does. And all the consumables we have, we are trying to cut down on those significantly. So Melamine is a big one, but I managed to get a special backup on sprayed on the on the mold i get two or three uses from it and then you know then it obviously gets cut up into scrap so um yeah probably not the best person to ask because my my frame of reference is melamine like you and i'm comfortable with it i think it also depends on what you do primarily so dusty baker is a great example dusty has huge steel tables two of them three Mm -hmm. of them they're big they're like you know seven or eight feet wide by 20 feet long and Dusty's business has really morphed into these massive kitchen countertops. He's doing islands yes. that are just huge. Yeah. That's his business. Mm-hmm. He's He does sinks uh, and he does other stuff. But his primary business, I'd say 85, 90% of what he's doing, at least according to what I see on his social media and just in, in private text, are these huge pieces, these huge islands. And he's doing Dustycrete, which has a very textured surface. Mm-hmm. And so the imperfections in the steel... And all kind of stuff. It, it plays into it. To yeah. yeah. It's not detrimental. And then he needs the steel for the size pieces. Now, we've talked about steel on, on the podcast in the past of it being a heat sink and slowing mm-hmm. the exotherm of the concrete. And there's things that Dusty's now trying to do to overcome that. And anybody having steel tables, that should be a, a concern for them or at least something to address is mm-hmm. uh, the, the heat sink aspect of it. But, you know, for what I do, I'm doing a very smooth as cast surface that I'm going to demold, I'm going to acid etch it, I'm going to seal it. I'm not going to process it beyond that. And mm. the steel, I couldn't do that because there's scratches, there's pitting in the steel, there's different stuff that will translate to the surface. Yeah, and I'm not going to get yeah. rid of it with acid etching. I have to water polish it, which I don't want to do. I hate water polishing. I'd have to water polish it. It's going to change the look of the concrete. I'm going to expose a lot more sand than I want to expose. And it's going to, it's going to change my workflow to where yeah. I can't just demold it clean it with simple green, acid etch it, you know, and then seal. So for me, that's, again, where melamine comes in. But different strokes are different folks. You know, it, it's one of those things that if you are 100% anti-melamine, there's ways around it. But even that, Dusty, and I'd say anybody using steel, they're still using melamine for their edges. They're still using melamine for their back racks that they're building. Yeah. They're still yeah. using melamine to make their their sink forms and different things. 
they're just using less melamine because the main uh, plane, the flat section, is going to be steel or epoxy. I think a lot of people moved away from epoxy due to the maintenance required for epoxy. Yeah. And they, they went to steel. But um, but there's there's upsides and downsides. I mainly do bespoke one-off pieces. That's just, I get, I don't get hired to replicate lots of pieces and I don't get hired to do big pieces, mainly because I hate doing big pieces and I try to push people away from it. And so I get hired to make smaller stuff. And again, that's where melamine shines. But if it was anything beyond seven and a half feet in length, if it was um, anything that had a textured surface, then steel would be perfect. Let me ask you a question very quickly then. You know you just said about big pieces and pushing people away from them. This is, and tell me what you think. So using, using, I've done quite a few big, like really bespoke kitchen islands. They've got integral shelving, they've got cantilevers, you know, they've got integral waterfall legs, you know, really, really involved processes. And you've done that, you know, off the top of my head, the Leviathan table, big, you know, five meters or 20 foot, whatever's in your money, you know, double, double table, the beautiful crack down it. My question to you is, do you think those pieces are ever really worth, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? Because one of the arms that we did at the shelves in it, we charged about $50,000 in your money for it and two other little um, two other little kitchen countertops with it. And, you know, making it and all the time invested and the risk involved in it, you know, I came to the conclusion that it really wasn't worth, worth it unless it was double that amount which is very difficult to get. I just didn't really think the juice was worth the squeeze for that kind of custom work. So, you know, I think smaller pieces, and, you know, everyone, we all, but we all wanted this big, stupid piece. We want to be known for these big, silly things. But ultimately, you end up making far more money and a far easier life with the smaller things. You know, what, what do you think of that? I agree. And yeah. again, it's, it's funny that we're talking about this because my new guy that I have working for me, mm-hmm. uh, he's never done concrete. His name is Cole. He's a, he's a good guy. But Cole asked me yesterday, we're talking about, about furniture, and I was telling him how I'm going to make the most expensive... Whoa, whoa what's going on over there? This fucking little boy's coming with his phone, let me kick him out. <laughs> Sorry, he's gone, he's gone now. <laughs> I'm going to tell him, I told him I'm going to make, him, I'm going to make the most expensive ping pong table ever. I have this, this design in my head for a ping pong table, right? And I said, yeah. it's on my, my list of things to do. And at some point, I'm going to put this ping pong table in my lounge area of my, my new shop that I'm renovating. Because we're talking about that. And he's like, he's like, well, you know, what, what do you think that would cost? I was like, I don't know, $50,000, $100,000, something like that for this ping pong table because it's just so insane. Yeah. And uh, he's like, what? I'm like, dude, speed on the Leviathan table. I said, that table was $30,000. And he's like, oh, my God. Like, in his mind, that's crazy, crazy money, right? Yeah. I said, dude, it took two months to build that. From start to finish, I had to build the torsion boxes. I, it was cast in two different sections. It's post-tensioned. From the time I started that project to the time that it was done was two months. Yeah. It was a ton of time. And, you know, we charged $30,000, so it's $15,000 a month. But that's that's uh, gross. That's not net. So after I pay mm-hmm. for employees, insurance, cost of goods sold, taxes, taxes can take 30 40% right off the top of that, right? Yeah. Taxes. All this stuff that goes into it, I was making minimum wage at $30,000 on that table. And so I told him, I was like, you know, if I ever did another one like that, and I've, I've had people contact me and want me to quote it, it would be double the cost. Yeah. And it's just one of those things that, is that crazy? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, people are spending millions and millions of dollars on cars. People spend $100 million on a boat. Is that crazy? Not to them. So 
what's, what's crazy and what's not crazy to me, again, I just don't care what's crazy and what's not crazy. What's crazy is doing a project and losing money on it. That's crazy. You know, I could stay home and watch uh, soap operas all day or uh, Maury Povich and see who the dad is. You know, like there's things I could do that are less crazy than doing a crazy big project that I'm upside down on or that I break even on. Mm-hmm. So, absolutely. Mm-hmm. you know, Jake Brady, he's a good example of somebody that I think has kind of uh, in time shifted gears on this. At one point, Jake Brady really took a lot of pride in making the biggest pieces. You yeah. know, everything was seamless, blah, blah, blah. But I've seen him post some stuff recently and maybe he's, maybe even talked about it on the podcast we did with him, but where he's talking about as he's gotten older, he's making smaller pieces now. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's easier to move in a shop. It's easier to transport. It's easier to install. You kind of yeah. get past the point of wanting to do stuff for bragging rights. And you get to the point of, I want to be profitable and I don't want to kill myself. You know, yeah. like, I don't care about what some guy in Idaho thinks about uh, that I made it all one piece. It doesn't matter to mm-hmm. me, that person's opinion. What matters to me is I got a wife, I got kids, I need to pay the mortgage. And I just don't want to kill myself. I don't want to pull my back out trying to flip this, you know, thousand pound island and install it. So that's just me. But again, Dusty is a great example of somebody that he is exploding with work. You know, I, I hit him up because we need to do uh, another pinnacle camp and mm-hmm. I hit him up to see a schedule. He's like, bro, he's like, I'm so busy. He's beyond busy doing these massive, massive, massive kitchens. And he's, yeah. you know, he doesn't know when he's going to have availability, but that's become his business. But Dusty has kind of developed a business around that. So he's, He's actually made his own equipment. He bought uh, a King's cart to do installations, and it just it didn't perform for the size of stuff he's doing. The size yeah. of stuff he's doing it are too big for that cart. And so he had to develop his own cart. So he essentially has engineered and built his own cart to transport and install these massive, massive islands. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you're charging for it and you're geared for that like Dusty is, then by all means, you should do it. But if you're a company like me or maybe a company like yours where you don't have the equipment in place, you're not set up with the massive tables to do it, um, and you don't really have – Dusty has now kind of developed a name for that in Nashville. So all these country music stars go to Dusty for their kitchens because they all want the biggest island. You know, they want this 20-foot by 15-foot island. Totally reach the center. (laughs) Exactly. So they come to Dusty. But Dusty's developed a name for that. So when they come to him and Dusty's like, you know, whatever, it's 200 bucks a square foot. So that island is, you know, with the legs, $50,000 for the island. They're like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But if somebody – Exactly. But he's developed that market. But unless you're Dusty Baker and you develop the market and you have the equipment and you have the tables and, uh, and he's figured it out. You know, over the years, I've watched him progress on how he transports and flips pieces and maneuvers yeah. and things. He's very sophisticated now on how he does it. But um, for me, I'm not. And so if somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I want a 15 by 20 foot island, dude, that, that's a nightmare for me. It's just not yeah. worth it. There's not enough money in the project for me to I, – I could say it's $200,000 and I still would dread doing it. <laughs> I just don't want to do it, you know? So, yeah. yeah. You know, I did um, I did that uh, breeze block project. Yes. And this was before Maker Mix and Rad Mix. I wish, I wish I had those products when we did that project. We were using the Buddy Rhodes Mix back then. And they entrained so much air because the way you had to pour, you had to pour through one side and the air would rise in the mold and get trapped on one face on one side of the mold. And there was really no way around it. And, you know, polymers and train air. It's just the downside yeah. of polymer. And so there was a lot of air in the mix. So anyways, I um, that project, they'd hired a company out of Arizona to do these breeze blocks. It was like 2,000 breeze blocks. And they gave them a year to do it. And they initially contacted me to give them a quote on that project. 
And I gave him a quote and I didn't hear back. And uh, so like a year goes by, an architect calls me up and he's like, hey, bro, you know, we, uh, we really need you to do this project. Um, I'm like, well, I quoted like a year ago. And he's like, yeah, he's like, well, the builder had a guy in Arizona that he really liked and he'd used him before kind of like, like your buddy over there. He used this guy before, so he was more comfortable mm-hmm. using that guy. I guess it only made like 50 breeze blocks out of the 2000 in that year, right? And they just gave Jesus. up because they kept breaking and they would demold them. So they, they kept breaking them. So they just gave up, but they didn't tell anybody. They didn't bother to call the builder and say, hey, bro, sorry, <laughs> we're not going to do your project. So the builder called him and it's like, hey, where's the, where's the other, you know, 1950 breeze blocks? Because they delivered 50. They're like, yeah, no, we're not doing it. No, they kept breaking. So anyways, so I ended up doing it. But so I had to, to make a test block. So I make a test block. I ship it to the architect who's going to go meet with the client. And, and they, uh, they FaceTime me in this meeting and the client, she loved it. She's like, Oh my God, it's beautiful. I love it. She's like, but is there anything we do about these air holes on this one side? These, you know, these, these air pockets. I said, no, there's not. And, uh, an architect kind of chimes in and he's like, you know, is there any way to fill them and polish them? I'm like, yeah, there is, but there's not enough money in the world for me to do it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if that's a, if that's going to be a deal breaker, I'm happy not to do the project. Honestly, I, I really don't want it because they needed 2000 blocks in six weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, honestly, if you don't want to do the project, that's fine with me because I got a lot going on and, and uh, it's not going to be any kind of fine back. She's like, no, 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 we love it. We love it. You know, we'll, we'll, we accept them with the air holes. Okay, great. But uh, what they did is I packaged up these 2000 breeze blocks. They shipped them to a company in LA that unpackaged them, filled all the air pockets and polished them. Every one of them. Jesus then Christ. they repackaged them, shipped them to another company that unpackaged them and gold leafed the interior of every block with 24 karat gold leaf and repackaged them and then shipped them to the job site and installed them. That's um, some operation for six weeks, isn't it? Jesus. Yeah. But but the whole thing was, had I said to them, yeah, I'll do it for an extra, you know, $100,000, they probably would have said done because look how much money they spent in all that process, right? They yeah, probably, yeah. probably said done. But for $100,000, it wouldn't have been worth it to me. There's yeah. some things that are so much pain that there's no amount of money, at least for me, to want to do it. I'm just like, I don't, it's not about the money. It's like, I do not want that pain. I just don't want to deal with it. We, we had, not, not on that kind of scale, we had a recently in the kitchen a couple of weeks ago. Architect contacted us, um, you know, um, kind of been that down for a kitchen. Um, and can you quote it? So we ended up quoting it. We were like, Fifteen thousand pound or twenty thousand dollars in your money. Um, I like I like to do freedom freedom counting and freedom <laughs> measurements because <laughs> I know most people listening to this aren't in the UK. But I digress. And you know, the architect rings back and he said, uh, you know, it's really not in my hands now. The contractor has found uh, a company, and I know who they are, and they're very cheap in the UK. Not the best work. And he said, you know, they're like less than half your quote. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. And he said, you know, I'm going to have a word with the contractor. You know, would you kind of come down a bit? And I mean, actually, like, nope, that's the price. You know, not a penny less. That's that's the price. You know, if you come back to me in two months, it's probably going to increase because I'll be much busier then, and because you know everything's going up at the moment etc anyway and this this island that it is it's so involved so the island's got two legs either end luckily they're separate but it's got all these panels on one side and two of the panels actually go down a staircase so you've got to obviously template the staircase on site and then probably have to adjust it as well and even the worst bit is they've already tiled the floor 
So it's not like you can have like a small gap and it's going to get tiled over. This has to be, you know, very good. You know, a little bit of silicon probably here or there, but it has to be perfect. And I said, there's no way on this earth I could justify doing that. Th these three panels alone for less than that price, because, you know, if something goes wrong, ultimately I have to make them again. If I, you know, template it wrong or I get there and I you know, have to adjust it, you know yourself and you cut it wrong and you're like, <gasps> you're like three sixteenths of an inch is the wrong way. And you think, shit. Do you know what I mean? You've now got a massive gap that looks like a slug could live in it. Yep. You know? And it was just, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, same as you. Like, look, if you want me to do it, that's the price. If not, then good luck. And, you know, <laughs> the parting words of the architect were to us, I wouldn't be surprised if I call you in about six months. So, which is a sad state of affairs for an architect to say that himself. Um, but, you know, that's, you've got to have your price and you've got to stick to your price. And it's really, even when you're not that busy, we're busy, but when you aren't busy, you know yourself, Brandon, you cannot lower your price because as soon as you do, when you are down there, it's very difficult to go up in price. You can always be high and come down a little bit. You can never go the other way. It's yeah. impossible. It's like, it's like you and I are like on some kind of like connected wavelength right now. Like everything we're discussing or, or these conversations I just had. So Alberto Croco. Yeah, love man. Yeah, I love Alberto. Um, he's down in Australia. He hit me up a few days ago. He's he's developing a new furniture line, which is really, really nice. Yeah. And he hit me up and he's like, I'm going to pick your brain on pricing. And I told him the exact same thing. I said, listen, you can start high and discount it for designers, you know, in, in these hotel projects or whatever. They're going to order 100 of them. You can discount it, but you can never increase the price. So set the price of where you want it to be retail. And then, you know, you can think about what you want to discount it for large commercial projects. Mm -hmm. But yeah, my buddy, um, Brian Tostado, he used to be in concrete. Tostado was awesome. But he told me that a long, long time ago. He's like, you can always discount. You can never increase. Once you put that out in the world, yeah. especially with the internet, once you put that price in the world, it's locked forever. If you increase your price, people are going to Google it and find where you had it before at this price. And they're going to say, well, I found you used to sell mm -hmm. that chair for $500. Now it's 5000 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at 500 I was losing money. I didn't realize it. But now I do. I can't sell it for that. But that put it in our mind that it's only worth 500 You're now ripping me off. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you should always set your prices high and then come down if you want or don't. Uh, but yeah, it's tough. With architects as well. I mean, you know, residential clients, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I've made exceptions to certain jobs that I wanted to do, you know, and even then having said that, for example, with architects and designers, you know, the thing people forget is these people talk in their circles, like, like the concrete industry, we all kind of know each other or know each other's names, you know, for the most part, designers and architects are the same. You know, they all follow and know each other. If you give a price to a designer and an architect, you know, and, and Da Vinci did it for 10 grand, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, you know, an architect that knows them and says, I want the same. And I say, oh, it's 30. But why did you charge them 10? You know, you, you're screwed. You know, mm -hmm. people just think you're robbing them. And it's the same. It is the same for residential clients because they'll pass your name to a friend of theirs and you've even told them. I'm doing this at a bit of a cheaper rate because I want to do it. I want to see if I can do it. You know, we've all been at test yourself for whatever reason, or you want to bring a design you've had in your head to life, you know, and you're getting paid to do it. And the problem is they don't go and tell their friend what they paid, not what you tell tell them they should tell their friends. You know, they tell you know they tell the truth <laughs> for the most part. And then that friend rings you and says, "What's the quote?" You often don't know, and you say it's ten thousand. Like, well, you charge my friend three, five, six, whatever. You're like, well, shit. So, yeah, never, if, if anybody can take anything away from this podcast, you know, you will never climb up the ladder. You know, you can always come down a little bit. But, yeah, don't, 
don't fucking start low because you're just doing yourself a massive disservice one day in the future. Um, it's the same the reason why me and Ashley have never had a sale. You know, I've got one, two, I've got about six or seven pieces in a container, like benches, fire pits, just didn't make the grade. And Ashley's like, we need to sell them. And I'm like, if you want to sell them, go and set up an Etsy shop or something online. Do not put our name anywhere fucking near it and have that sale elsewhere, you know. Simple as that. When I deliver them, I'll wear a fucking T-shirt that says, you know, I hate concrete or something, you know. But the point is, I'm not going to have the brand name that Ashley and I built Da Vinci anywhere near that fire sale. Because for me, all you're saying is this piece of shit really wasn't worth what I was going to charge in the first place. That's the way I've always seen it, you know. Um, that's why we don't have sales. I'd rather throw it in the bin. Yeah. I just literally today bought a, uh, a leather uh, briefcase or laptop case, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So there's a company called Saddleback Leather. And I have been following them for years. If you want to look at a company that has great branding and a great story and just really engaging, look up Saddleback Leather. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I could never justify buying one of their bags. They're just expensive. But um, Aaron's grandmother gave me a very generous gift card for Christmas that I've just been sitting on. I've been kind of, I don't know, I don't know what I'm going to spend this money on. And she passed away a couple of days ago, her her grandmother. And um, I was thinking oh. about it. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but she was like 98 years old. And, you know, you can't, nobody's going to live forever. And if you make it 98, you hit the jackpot. Yeah. And um, and she lived a great life and she passed away peacefully in her sleep, which, again, that's all you can hope for. Like, the people I know that passed away have, have had much more agonizing deaths, you know, to pass away in your yeah. sleep is the best you could ever, ever hope for. So, 100%. so anyways, but I was like, you know, that's what I'm going to spend the money on is one of these bags because, uh, I'll keep it for the rest of my life. And, and, um, I always remember her when I have it. And, but anyways, my point with this is when I went to check out, there's a promo code box, right? So I Google yeah. promo code. Well, they run like 20% sales a couple times a year. And it pops up on Google, but none of those codes work right now. You know, they only do them like two or three times a year. So when you go to put them in, it's like, oh, it's expired. But that hurts, in my opinion, it hurts the pricing for that product because you know they're willing to sell for 20% less yeah. a couple times a year. So now they're charging 20% more, and I feel like I'm getting ripped off to some extent. It's just the psychology of it. And so, yeah. again, John and I, we don't run sales on our, on our stuff. There's no point in running a sale. We don't run a business where we run high margins for half the year and then we discount it for half the year to make up for it, you know, or, or vice versa. We don't discount it this time and then bump it up to make up for it. So we just, we sell it for the price we can sell it for. But I do think sales definitely hurt brand integrity as far as pricing goes and the customer satisfaction with, do they feel that they got a good value? If, if I went to go check out on Saddleback Leather and there was no promo code, I wouldn't even look for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's one of the things. Now, that being said, on our website that we have for Kodiak, there's a promo code section because it's a Shopify website, and that's just part of it. But mm-hmm. we don't have any promo codes. So mm-hmm. it's just one of the things. It's like built into the, the checkout process. But yeah, yeah sales, I, I'm not a fan. When I first started my company, I did do sales because I thought that was the way to generate business. So I would get on these uh, modern concrete, or not modern concrete, but modern home forums in Phoenix there was one called Mod Phoenix, and I'd be like, this week only, 20% off concrete countertops, blah, 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 or whatever it was. And people would hit me up, like, hey, I need you to come out and give me a quote. I go over there and measure it all, and I'm like, you know, $7,000? And they're like, oh, our budget's three. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it for three, right? They could smell mm-hmm. the blood in the water. They're like sharks. They could smell it, and I was yeah. desperate. And uh, 
Just there's nothing good that comes from it. I should have never done it. Uh, but you don't know what you don't know until you know. And then you're just like, I'm not going to do that again. That was a big mistake. You know, right. so, yeah. Before um, before I let you go, question. When we're in Joe's shop, are we having, or are we going to have like a podcast where we're like a round table or anything or podcast with, you know, all of us in the same space at once? Are we going to try and do that? Or is that wishful thinking on my part? Well, no, it's a great idea. And John actually brought it up too. Mm-hmm. I think logistically, I have... Um, a, a cool setup here that we can have up to four mics on. Maybe yeah. I'll buy three more mics. Uh, John could bring his. So there's one right there. And I think I have another one floating around. So maybe I just have to buy one, but yeah. we could set that up and maybe do something like that. That'd be a lot of fun. Maybe we do like a Facebook live type thing Yeah, yeah. Um, with everybody there. That might be fun to do as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's a good idea and um, we'll definitely try to. I'm looking forward to it. Like, genuinely, I, I genuinely can't wait. And they said before, for me, if people want to know why, you know, other than the fact to help teach why I want to go, because seeing how other people problem solve something else that I would problem solve a different way, that's the biggest thing, you know, and meeting people, like, you know, meeting you, John, um, you know, Phil Courtney's coming, you know, meeting Phil, you know, spoken to him for years, you know, that for me as well. Just there's something about meeting people in person rather than, you know, we talk on the phone, you know, friends on the phone, but meeting people in person, there's something about that. There's just this kind of, you know, <laughs> the interaction is, you know, is, um, oh, God. My word, I'm like, John, my words escape me. I'll stop making words up in a minute. The interaction <laughs> is fluid. <Fluishing. laughs> uh, well, no, it's good. It, it helps develop bonds and yes. strengthen friendships. And a lot of times things get lost in translation on on social media. Yeah. Um, I'm guilty of it. I'll read, I'll read something and I'll read it in a tone in my mind that the person never intended for it to be. Mm-hmm. And I'll take it a certain way and I'll call up John. I'm like... Do you see this comment? And John's like, I don't think that's what that person was trying to say. And I'm like, no, John, like you're not reading between the lines. This person, he's like, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I think that's really easy to do with social media. So when you have those personal interactions, then you see people for who they truly are. Body language is such an important part of, of, human dialogue and you know social media has really been a big problem with that because i can say something and you could tell just by the look of my face expression of my face and my posture that i'm not being serious um and you know my sense of humor i mean you know i've talked about this i have a very very kind of dry sense of humor and yeah. i'll make comments that you know i'm joking but other people take as serious <laughs> fact you know and they get all the cash one where you put cash yeah. and wipe it up <laughs> well, somebody, yeah. somebody's like said uh, i'm just in it for the money and i've posted a, yeah. a <laughs> gif of uh woody harrelson drying his eyes with hundred dollar bills as a joke because it's hilarious and they like took it serious and just went crazy and yeah. uh but that's you know it's just one of the things that in person you can read people and it's like 80 yeah. percent of communication is body language but all these great minds in one spot as well looking at whatever the hell this monster thing is we're going to create. And then you know, I'm and the ideas we're going to have. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. All the great you minds know? and then BG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And then Brandon Gold, yeah. <laughs> and the then there's that guy chain. over there <laughs> sniffing glue. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to say before, I've got to say this, but I always forget. Do you know who you sound like sometimes when you say certain things? You remind me of... Um, it's Bob Odenkirk who plays Better Call oh, Saul. I love, I love Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah, he's Honestly, awesome. He said to Ashley, he said, "Better call Souls on." She, what do you mean? It's a new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Better call Brandon. <laughs> oh man, dude, the uh, 
So did you watch Better Call Saul, the whole series? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it was like okay. episode one or two where he goes over to the guy's house that has the toilet. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> the talking toilet. And I, yeah. I reference that all the time. I'm like, mmm, it's so big. Mmm, <laughs> fill me up, Chandler. I say it all the time. People are like, what are you talking about? I'm like, dude, you didn't see that episode of Better Call Saul? It's the best one ever. Uh, I love them. I just yeah. watched uh, Nobody with him in it. That was a great film. If you're not oh, seeing it, oh yeah, no, I have seen it. I'm watching right now. I actually had to put it on pause to do this podcast. I'm watching Bullet Train. You ever seen that one? Oh no, actually, not going to watch that. I think uh, when we go from California, dude, it's yeah. good. It's good. Yeah, is it good? Yeah, it's a, it's. I think Guy Ritchie directed it because it's a very Guy Ritchie esque film. Yeah. Um, kind of like Snatch or any of those where it's oh, kind of like yeah. this, you know, dialogue Superb and films. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's good. I'm liking it. Well, thank you very much. I'll let you go back to your <sighs> film. I'm going to go and have a British cup of tea. Probably one of the last few before I go to California. Do you have tea over there? Yeah, we have tea. I mean, we don't have tea oh, like you have tea. We have iced tea. Oh, and no. if you go oh, to... That's, that's not civilized. No wonder we, we fell out back in the 1700s. <laughs> <laughs> if you go to uh, a coffee shop, they'll do a, a hot tea, you know, but nobody drinks tea here. Oh, no. I yeah. have to bring my own tea. You have to bring your own tea. You have to bring my bad tea. teeth. I'll just be like, um, what's it called? Uh, Buzz Killington or when Stewie does that, you know, British, overly British impression. That's what I look like. Just Buzz <laughs> Killington with big teeth. <laughs> That's going to be a good time, man. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Super. All right, Martin. Well, hopefully I, I have to fly out next week. Is it next week? I'm flying out. I'm flying out. What is today? Courses on the way, a week on Wednesday. Yeah, I'm flying out a week pretty Wednesday. much in a week. I'm flying out in a yep. week to go out there. Um, and then I, I'm flying back. Then I have to go to St. Louis for a project, a big Grand Earth project I'm doing in St. Louis. But anyways, my point is hopefully we can get a podcast in next week with John. We'll see. But if not, uh, there might be a pretty good lag here between podcasts because um, mm-hmm. I'm just going to be gone for a while. So. Excellent. Oh, so I can't wait to finally uh, to meet you all and obviously, hopefully, see some actually sunny weather. But apparently, like John said, tells me it's apparently like Britain at the moment in California. So fuck my life, dude. So, yeah. Well, yeah. It's crazy weather in California right now. It seems to be all rain, and it's mm. usually all sun. So it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But for like the last two or three months, it's just been torrential rain in California. Uh, I'm going to get blamed for bringing British weather. It's going to be my fault. (laughs) Yeah, it's all good. All All right, right, Martin. Have a nice day, Chief. Adios, amigo. See you, pal.